Word for today, a ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church in Egan, Minnesota. It is our prayer that the message from God's Holy Word would bring a new and deeper love for Jesus in your life. Welcome to Living Word Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Nathan Olson. It's a blessing and a joy to come and share God's Word with you today. Here at our church, we believe that every single time we open up the Bible, that something miraculous takes place. That this is not just a book like you'd find on your shelf, but that this is the true, inspired, and errant Word of God from cover to cover. And so, because of those convictions and those beliefs, we come with an expectancy today to hear from God's Word the transformative truth for our lives. How He wants to convict our hearts of sin and point us to our Savior, Jesus Christ, teach us what it means to follow after Him. It's our prayer that as you come and hear God's word today, that your hearts would be open to his spirit's work in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just commit this time to you. All the busyness of our weeks, Lord, we prioritize a time to hear your word and a time to meditate on your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would just come and have your way with your people during this next few moments together, that you would speak to us mightily through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right now at our church, we're going through a series called Do Not Be Afraid. And we're looking at all the times in the Old and New Testament where God comes to his people and he says, Do not fear. I am with you. Don't be afraid. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will protect you. I'll provide for you. And we see this kind of refrain over and over and over again, both in the Old and New Testament. God is coming alongside of his people. And today, we are looking at the Old Testament prophet Elijah. Uh, he is a prophet during the time of the kings, and we find stories about him both in First and Second Kings. Uh, he was a prophet during the time of, of many wicked kings, actually. And there were, the sad reality is that there were many wicked kings both in Israel and Judah, and uh, he's proclaiming the word of the Lord faithfully toward those who largely wouldn't listen. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick it up there, First Kings 22, verse 51. 1 Kings 22, verse 51, and we're going to meet the king. His name is Ahaziah, and uh, he was the son of King Ahab. Maybe you've heard of that king before, Ahab and Jezebel. They have a son named Ahaziah, and he is uh, who we find here at the, the end of 1 Kings and beginning of 2 Kings. That's where we're going to be going today. It says, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. Now, to understand the situation and the seriousness here of where, where we find Ahaziah leading the people as the king, you have to remember that the king functioned as the kind of the lead figurehead for the culture. When the king said, we're going to follow the Lord, the people did. But when he said, we're going to follow these idols, normally what happens is we see that people kind of go after his lead. They, they follow along as well. And that the religiosity of the land and the culture context largely was communal. It was corporate identity. Um, similar to maybe some of the monarchies that were ruling in Europe during the time of the Middle Ages. You know, 
A lot of times you'd have one of these princes or kings who would say, we're going to be a Lutheran country. And boom, now the country is Lutheran. Um, you see this in some African villages as well. My family lived there when I was a teenager. And you see tribal leaders will say, this is what we're all going to do. This is the decision that we're making for our community. Um, even in the New Testament, we see whole households believing and coming to faith all together. You know, the whole household believes. And this kind of thing sounds foreign to our Western mindset because we're largely individualized. You know, we, we think about making our own decisions, our own thoughts, and nobody really makes them for us. But uh, all to say, that is not the only mindset in the world. Uh, there are other places in the world where a mindset is very corporate, very communal. And what we see in the Old Testament is that the power of the kingship is that it was very influential to the corporate cultural identity of the land. And so what we see Ahaziah doing here at the end of 1 Kings, kind of um, going and worshiping these idols and uh, abandoning the Lord God, it's very much um, a serious problem because that is um, indicative of where the culture is going to be following. They're going to be following after the leading and influence of the king. And, and then flip over your, your Bible to the next chapter there. We're going to look at the beginning of 2 Kings then. 2 Kings chapter 1, the story of Ahaziah continues. And uh, we see that this decision to kind of abandon the Lord and do his own thing and kind of shake his fist at God and worship the Baal doesn't end up so well for him. We see in verse 2 of 2 Kings 1, it says, Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Baal, the god of Ekron, whether I will recover from the sickness. Um, unfortunately, the king has this um, near-death experience here where he falls and uh, he's, he's laying sick, almost going to die. And so um, he sends some messengers to find out how this is going to end. But he doesn't send the messengers to inquire of the Lord God. He sends the messengers to inquire of this pagan god, Baalzebub of Ekron. And Ekron was uh, a Philistine city. It's even outside of Israel and Judah. Uh, he doesn't go inquire of the Lord. He goes and inquire of a pagan god. And we see the Lord kind of intervene and intercept this in verse 3. It says, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, arise, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, is it because there is no god in Israel? that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And so Elijah went. And we see that Elijah goes and he intercepts these messengers then before they're able to make it to Ekron and consult the false god Baal. And Elijah publicly calls out the king for his idolatry. He publicly uh, points out that they're going and, and seeking false gods. And furthermore, he tells the messengers to go back and tell the king that he's going to die. He's not going to recover from this sickness that he's in. And uh, that's not usually the best thing to go and tell a king. They don't really like that very much. They're not really big fans of being a bearer of bad news, especially if you're telling them that they're not going to make it through this illness. But the messengers go back to the king and they tell him that. And they say, uh, and he says to them, verse 5, why have you returned? 
And they said to him, Well, there came a man to meet us and said to us, Go back to the king who sent you and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you will surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? And they answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. And the king said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. And it's so interesting to, to me, and maybe it is to you, what we see here in this uh, relay of this message. We see that the messengers go back and they tell the king what Elijah had said. And now the king is, is intrigued of whose message this is. And just off of a description of two articles of clothing, this garment of hair and a belt of leather around his waist, the king knew who this was. You see, the king was familiar with this Elijah. Uh, after all, his dad was King Ahab, and Ahab was the one who had kind of duked it out with Elijah on Mount Carmel, where Elijah had offered a sacrifice and the prophets of Baal had offered a sacrifice, seeing which one God would send down fire to consume the sacrifice. And the, and the Baal did not. And the prophets, even though they wept and mourned and pleaded for almost all the day, Baal did not answer. But Yahweh did and rained down fire upon the sacrifice. And uh, Isaiah had heard about this. He had witnessed uh, Elijah battling with his mom and dad, Jezebel and Ahab. Uh, he had heard about the work of the Lord. He had lived during the season of no rain for three years in the land because of Elijah's work. He had heard about the ministry of this man and his prophecies. And instead of humbling his heart, instead of repenting, Instead of seeking the Lord, instead of standing in amazement that there is a God in Israel who is to be feared and known, he instead does something very foolish. He hears about Elijah, and what he does is he sends his own personal guards to go and capture Elijah. He, he tells his men to command Elijah upon the word of the king to come with them, and that he would be brought back before the king. And we see there in verse 9 that the king sent to him a captain of 50 men with his 50. Think about that. 50 men on one. And he went up to Elijah who was sitting at the top of a hill and said to him, O man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of 50, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you in your 50. Then fire came down from heaven. And consumed him and his 50. Uh, unfortunately, what we see here is that the attitude of the captain of the 50 men was the same as the attitude of the king. There is no respect for the Lord. There is no respect for his servants. Instead, it's an assertion of themselves as the authority. It's an assertion of themselves as the, the, the lead, the boss, the one who's in control. And maybe you caught this as you heard these verses, but... What happens? It's really a recapitulation of what happened on Mount Carmel, isn't it? The Lord sends fire down. Why? So that all Israel would know that there is a God in Israel. That all the people would know that the Lord Yahweh, he is God, and, and that he is the one who sits on the throne. And so fire comes down and consumes the captain and his 50 men. God is God and not the king. And God is the one who rules and reigns 
over everything. He's the one who calls the shots. He's the one who has the authority. He's the one whom every knee shall bow to. Now, if I was a king, this would have put the fear of God in my heart right here. I would have been terrified. I would have uh, come trembling before Elijah and before the Lord God and, and, and had a humble and repentant heart. But we see that that's not the attitude of Ahaziah. Not the attitude of the king. Instead, we see that he goes and he does the same thing again. The king, verse 11, sent to him another captain of 50 men with his 50. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Did you notice the, uh, the little bit of a language shift from the last time? The last captain who came with the 50 men? This time, instead of just saying, the king says, come down, he says, this is the king's order, come down quickly. Even a little bit more uh, barbaric assertion here of leadership and power and dominion over this measly man of God. The king and the captain are setting themselves as the final authority. This is the king's orders. This is the one who's in charge of the land. This is the one whom you're supposed to respect and obey and listen to. And what happens? Fire comes down yet again. There is a God in Israel. And he doesn't take orders from any man. He is the one who is above all and is supreme in his reign. He's not ordered around by kings. He rules and reigns over all things. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And this is his called servant. But the king is hard-hardened. He doesn't repent. He doesn't give up. He doesn't humble himself. He doesn't recognize that his arrogance has cost him the lives of over a hundred men. And so he sends troops yet again. Fifty on one. But as the captain passes by the smoldering shields and the tarnished swords from the heat, from the fire of heaven, we see that the captain comes this time with a very different posture. He falls on his knees in humility and doesn't make any demand of Elijah. Verse 13, it says, Again, the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, O man of God, Please let my life and the life of these 50 servants who are yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s, but now let my life be precious in your sight. Essentially what he says is, Elijah, spare us. We know that, that you are a man of God. We know who really is the ruler and the king. No one's able to do this except the one true God. And we see that he doesn't command Elijah of anything. He doesn't order Elijah where to go and what to do. But we see that God does. And this is where we get the do not be afraid from 2 Kings chapter 1. It says there in verse 15 that the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him and do not be afraid of him. And so Elijah arose and went down with him to the king. And said to the king, Thus says the Lord, Because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is, because there, is it because there is no god of Israel to inquire of his word, 
Therefore, you shall not come down from this bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. And so at the word of the Lord, we see that Elijah goes. This is the word of the true king, the one whom Elijah is taking his orders from. And he goes, and per the instruction of the Lord, he tells Ahaziah, you're going to die. You have sought all these other ways besides the Lord. You have put your trust in the things of men. You put your trust in your own authority and, and power, and you have not turned your heart to trust in God. And so you're not going to make it out of this. And this is going to be a testimony that there is a God of Israel who rules and reigns, who has the final authority of all things. And we see that this God is one who calls the shots. And so we see in verse 17, the sad conclusion to this story, that Isaiah died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Friends, as you think about this story, the thing that I want you to realize very carefully is that there's only one whom we have to fear. It's not the rulers of this age. It's not the, the people who would proclaim to have power and authority this side of eternity. Because everyone's life, both theirs and ours, are held in God's hands. He is the one whom we are called to have a healthy fear, a healthy respect before, recognizing that this is not just some buddy-buddy, but this is the Lord God Almighty who sits on the throne and who rules and reigns over all things. Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Who's Jesus referring to here? He's saying, don't fear the people of earth, the, the kings and rulers or Pharisees or whoever this side of eternity. The best, best thing that they can do is just make your life miserable or to kill you. Instead, our call is to have a humble and reverent fear before the Lord God Almighty who reigns and rules supreme over everything and who our eternal destiny is held in his hands. He is the one with the ultimate authority and rule and we are called to obey his voice first and foremost. It reminds me of the time when Peter and the apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin. They were told not to preach about Jesus. They were told that they would maybe be whipped or flogged or mistreated if they were going to go on preaching in this name and doing the things that they had done. And Peter and the apostles, upon seeing the physical torture that they would receive and possible death, what they answer is, in verse 29 of Acts 5, we must obey God rather than men. You see, Peter and the apostles, their conviction was that which held allegiance to the Lord God alone. They recognized who was the boss, who was the authority, who was calling the shots, and who their lives were subjected to. It wasn't to the secular power of their day. It wasn't to the religious rulers and leaders who were propping themselves up with some kind of false authority. They recognized that their need was to bow to the Lord alone. That the Lord God was the one who guided and directed their lives. And so as you think about this Old Testament testimony of Elijah, 
And God's call for him to not be afraid, but to go forward under the command and order of the Lord. The application for us, I believe, is this. Our call in life is not to be afraid. Not to be afraid of the things of this world, not to fear the kings of this land, the persecutions that may come, the jailing that may happen. But instead, to be afraid in a very reverent and respectful way of the one who really is in control of all things. The one who is the Lord of the universe, the Lord God Almighty. That we instead would have a very different perspective than those of this world. You see, the people who we rub shoulders with and who are not trusting in Jesus, this world is all there is and ever will be. And so the, the thought of losing their lives this side of eternity is, is the biggest loss that they could ever have. But we, we recognize with an eternal perspective, it's not. That's not the biggest thing that we have to lose. The biggest thing that we have to lose is uh, an eternity separated from the Lord God in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, an eternal fire that will never relent. Our call, friends, is to pledge our souls to the Lord God Almighty, that we would recognize that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and that our lives, our actions, our words, our deeds would be subject to what he demands and where he would guide and lead us. And sadly, that stance is not popular today. And my guess is that if you took that position, there are going to be a time, maybe even already, where you're going to suffer consequences for that. This last year, John MacArthur, who is a, a big-name pastor in California, he's 82 years old. He and his church decided that they were going to keep meeting even during everything with the pandemic. And the government out in California was furious with him. And they hit him up with all kinds of lawsuits and threatened putting him in jail for his actions. And he responded with something I just loved. He said, you know what? If I have to go to jail for worshiping the Lord God Almighty and serving him as my true king, I guess I'll start a jail ministry. Haven't done that before. He recognized that there was one king. And it wasn't the king of this land, but it was the Lord. And he was making every effort to follow the Lord closely with his life, even if it meant losing everything. How about for you? How about for you today? Who are you afraid of? Well, it's interesting that the Bible over and over tells us not to be afraid the same time it does tell us what to be afraid of. To have a healthy fear of the Lord. The one who has everything in his hands. The one who controls our end from the beginning. That we would have a healthy respect and regard for who he is. And put our lives under his authority. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would use the story of Elijah here to challenge us. Lord, to um, cut down our complacency that we would stand boldly for you, even in the midst of a, a pagan world that we are in, and that you would help us, Lord, to have our allegiance be to you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to God's Word for today. If you are impacted by the message you heard, please consider donating to the Ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church by visiting www.livingwordaflc.org.